Take your Bibles and go with me to Acts chapter 4. We're continuing our series. Uh, Notice um, I corrected it, uh, Brother Eric. I put power in Jerusalem. And uh, so you're going to have to fix that again one more time. But uh, so I, I, I got this from Acts chapter 1 verse 8 where Jesus says, You will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the uttermost parts of the earth. And so uh, I had ministry in Jerusalem as a subtitle, but I got it corrected. And we're looking at the church in its infancy, in its ministry with power, doing work in Jerusalem now as the church, filled with the Holy Spirit, doing things they had never done before with power and boldness. And we pick up the story in Acts chapter 4, the story of Peter and John at the beginning of chapter 4 as they were headed, as was their custom, to go to the temple, to the synagogue. And there was a man who every day was brought by his family, I assume, or brought by his people and dropped off at this gate called Beautiful, this ornate gate. And all he could do in his life was to beg for alms, to beg for money, to beg for help. That was all his life consisted of every day. And as Peter and John were coming by, he was begging for alms, and he was asking for those things. And, you know, they approached him and said, or when they approached him, they said, Hey, sir, silver and gold we don't have. But what we do have, we give to you in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ of Nazareth rise up and walk and immediately strength came to his legs and he began to worship and leap praising God and running around and we know that he was able to enter the temple and that signifies spiritual healing there we know that his life was not only changed physically but it was changed spiritually and all those who saw what was going on wanted to know how in the world could this happen, and they preached Jesus to them. And very, uh, a good number of the people praised God and started to worship God, but the, the very people who had Jesus put to death, the spiritual leaders, or the religious leaders, I should say, of that day, they weren't happy. And they wanted to know, you know, who gave them the authority to speak in the name of Jesus that this man could be healed. But the Bible says they couldn't deny the fact that there was this healed man. And so they took him into custody and they were trying to figure out what to do with Peter and John. And they were perplexed. They didn't know what to do. And then they came up with this cockamamie idea that we're going to command these guys not to speak in the name of Jesus anymore. Like that would work. And so they tried to do it and Peter and John said, hey man, you, you got to make the decision. You, you be the judge on that end of it. But, you know, as to whether we should speak or not in his name. But as for us, we can't help but speak the things we've seen and heard. And then the religious leaders let Peter and John go. So that's where we pick up the story. And man, it, it, it really... <laughs> To me, this is where it really gets interesting, okay? So I've titled the message today, Responding When Threatened for the Cause of Christ. What should you do when you are threatened? Maybe you're threatened with your job because you're a Christian. Maybe somebody saw something you posted on social media about standing for life or about you know uh, the ground is equal at the cross or maybe somebody is seeing where you stand about biblical sexuality and your boss sees that and 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 or somebody higher up and and they come to you and say "You, you can't have that belief system and work for us and if if you're going to work for us you're going to have to apologize or you're going to have to take that down you know as a matter of fact that's what happened to a football coach a former football coach and a commentator and a godly christian man named tony dungy this week and they tried to cancel him and destroy him 
They threaten you. What happens when you're threatened for the cause of Christ? What happens when you go to school, high schoolers, and you are in middle school, and <clears throat> you know your friends are are um, uncomfortable with your faith in Christ, and maybe they threaten you and say, you know, if you keep believing that, we're not going to be your friends anymore. There's all forms and kinds of threats that come our way. So how do you respond to it? Well, this is what happened to them. They were threatened, and they had a response. Stand with me, if you will. Acts chapter 4, verses 23 through 30. One. <clears throat> so on their release, they were released from custody, Peter and John went back to their own people and reported all that the chief priests and the elders had said to them. So when they heard this, they raised their voices together in prayer to God. Here's what they said. Well, let, let me just stop here and, and say this. Some of these songs that we sang today were in a way a prayer just like these, this, this prayer. Speaking directly to God. The, the song that we, talked, that, that we sang about how He did things in the past, would you do it again? This is, it kind of reminded me of, of this prayer here. And it says here, Sovereign Lord, they said, you made the heavens and the earth and the sea and everything in them. You spoke by the Holy Spirit through the mouth of your servant, our father David. Why do the nations rage and, people, and people's plot in vain? The kings of the earth rise up and the rulers band together against the Lord and against his anointed one. Indeed, Herod and Pontius Pilate met together with the Gentiles and the people of Israel in this city to conspire against your holy servant Jesus, whom you anointed. They did what your, what your power and will had decided beforehand should happen. Now, Lord, consider their threats and enable your servants to speak your word with great boldness. Notice, notice, all of their prayer prior to this moment was not asking for anything. Their prayer was, was recognizing all that God had done in the Old Testament and then what they were experiencing now and what had just happened with Jesus. And now they ask for something specific. And notice what they ask for. Now, Lord, consider their threats and enable your servants to speak your word with great boldness. Not once did they pray for safety. Stretch out your hand to heal and perform signs and wonders through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. And after they prayed, the place where they were meeting was shaken. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and spoke the word of God boldly. Father, we thank you that we have this this record of what these early Christians went through and what their responses were. Help us today to see the truth and how we as Christians in the modern day should respond to threats of like kind. And we pray it all in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. <clears throat> Now, there's one main point, and then I have four or five sub-points, okay? The main point is this. How should you respond when threatened, particularly for the cause of Christ or for the stand that you take? There's only one response. You should pray. That's it. They prayed. They prayed. What happens in modern times today? We try everything in the book, and when all else fails, then we pray. Right? Well, that's how some people behave. But for mature Christians, for people who are, who are growing in the Lord, for people who know better, for Christians, it should be just the opposite. Prayer should be our default 
in all of life situations. Not getting on social media and airing our frustrations with the world. Not subtweeting or subposting on social media, attacking someone else without mentioning their names. You know, I would just say this. I don't recommend that you attack anybody on social media. But if you're going to do it, you might as well mention their name. Be man or woman enough to do it. But I would say as a Christian, don't even do that. You don't have to do any of that. You don't have to go on social media and say, can you believe what they did to me? They threatened my job. Look, I've been on social media. I've ranted about certain things in the past. And TV20 came over here and said, hey, we like, well, I don't know if they like my rant, but we like the fact that you ranted and you've got a compelling story and we want to tell your story. And so they came over here and I was embarrassed by that because I said I should have never put that rant on social media. I should have gone to God with that first. But they prayed. That was their first response. I guess I want to help cement this into your mind and heart. Let the default position of your heart and life when bad things happen to you, when difficult situations come, when horrific diagnosis comes your way, let the first thing you do be prayer. So they prayed. Now, let's look at what they prayed together. First of all, let's look at what they did and how they prayed. The first thing I want you to see is they prayed together. Together. It's important here. Verse 23, it says here, on their release, they went to their own people. The concept here is they they went to other believers. They went and they gathered with believers. This had nothing to do with ethnicity. This had nothing to do with family in the sense that they went to their own family. and They went to their own spiritual family. They went to their own, own church. They went to, to the people of God, the people of like mind and heart and faith who've been changed gloriously by the power of Jesus Christ. They went to those people. And, that, and here, w- without it being a doctrinal statement, it's just a record of what they did. We see the importance of of the body of Christ. We see the importance of the church. We see why we need each other. And when they were threatened and in times of difficulty, they relied on God first of all, but each other secondly. We need each other. They prayed together. You know what? We ought to do more and more as a church. And even in a church like ours that that we, have, we just have some amazing Christians who are growing together. We're one big family. And sometimes we get on each other's nerves. And sometimes things don't always go well. And sometimes we have issues and moments. But what we ought to learn from those moments is rather than focusing on that, rather than getting angry with each other or getting upset with each other or letting stress let us bite each other and devour each other, the Bible says, let's be unified together. And let's come together and say, you know what, we may not have all the answers in these situations, but I know I can go to my brothers and sisters in Christ and we can pray together in unison. Man, the power of being together. You may be going through some crises in your life, maybe in your marriage, and you can't do it split apart. You have to be together. And it says, when they heard this, they raised their voices together in prayer to God. In prayer to God. Oh, people. The unbelievable amount of of peace, power, strength, emotional stability, um, clarity to see the big picture when we go to God in prayer. Oh, how God calms our nerves. How He allows our feelings to be put in their right place. As we get on the ground of prayer before the throne of God, and we begin to to reach out to God, and we begin to see it like God sees it. They had a real threat. These are the people that put Jesus to death. Uh, They didn't know what was going to come about. They, They didn't know what the next thing would be that would be thrown at them. They had already been 
manhandled to some extent, not beaten yet, but they were put in jail overnight. So they had a real situation and they were threatened, so they prayed together. Secondly, you notice this. Don't let this word scare you. I'm going to explain it to you. Secondly, their prayer focused on the sovereignty of God. What does that mean? Well, you've ever heard of the word sovereign? The word sovereign or sovereignty, one who possesses supreme authority, a ruler, a lord, a master. They realized that though there were ruling authorities of man in their lives, they knew that those people were not the ultimate authority. You follow what I'm saying? They knew they weren't the ultimate authority. They, they knew that they didn't, they didn't, they were not the ones who were gonna, who were gonna have the ultimate say in eternity. They knew there was one far greater, far supreme than them. And they even said it to them when they, when, when they, when they prayed. And notice what they prayed about. <laughs> I love it here. It said, Sovereign Lord. They said, You made the heavens and the earth. So they acknowledged God as the Creator. And then said, You made, you, uh, you made the, uh, the heavens and the earth and the sea. So, so look, you made outer space. You know, I hear these people all the time say this, you know, about... Well, or is there life on other planets and, uh, and, and this and that and whatever? And Boy, I know y'all are looking at me now and saying, what is he going to say? <laughs> I don't know, and I don't care. I'm not the sovereign king. And here's the point that I'm making. <clears throat> the Bible says that he created the heavens. I tend to lean that there's no other civilization out there. But it's his domain. There's nothing wrong in gazing and looking and trying to learn and these telescopes and all that we can see over there. It's amazing, though, the farther man goes into space with these amazing pieces of technology, the farther they get from God. When they should be, it should drive them closer to God. So they acknowledge this. Here are these ancient people these are our, our brothers and sisters in christ they said you made the heavens you made the earth and the sea and i notice what they said and everything in them they, they acknowledge the fact that god made the aquatic life everything that's in the sea he made it say does god want you to eat fish yeah, when Jesus was here, he told them to throw the nets on the other side of the boat to catch more. They had more fish than they know what to do with. God put the fish in the sea so man could survive. That's just one way to get protein and to eat and to get food, right? Isn't that awesome? And they recognized this. They were saying in their prayer, they were saying, God, you're sovereign. You know it all. You created it all. You created mankind. You created the earth, the heavens, the sea, all the sea life. You created all of it. And then you spoke by the Holy Spirit through the mouth of your servant, our father David. And then they quote Old Testament Scripture. And look at what they say. Why do the nations rage and the people plot in vain? The kings of the earth rise up and the rulers band together. Why? Against the Lord and against His anointed one. They were going back to the Old Testament and now they see... In David's words, the very point about Jesus Christ, the anointed one. And so, they recognized that there was a battle going on. And they realized that the rulers and authorities that were telling them and threatening them and telling them they couldn't speak in Jesus' name were limited in their rule and authority. And they were limited based on the sovereignty of God. And they even mentioned later on here that those who conspired against Jesus and all of that and it says they did what your power and will had decided beforehand should happen in other words they recognize nothing happens nothing happens that nothing takes God by surprise in this world that we live in 
And as bad as what Jesus went through was, it was all according to plan because of man's sin. God had to come and be the sacrifice himself. We're studying right now in the Old Testament in our um, Bible study on Sunday morning in my class on the study of Joseph in the Old Testament and how he was hated by his brothers, sold into slavery, thrown into a, um, um, a dry well, then sold to, to harden slave traders. Then, you know, then he rose to prominence in Potiphar's house, uh, the like a general in the Egyptian army. And then Potiphar's wife, who was immoral, accused him of attempted rape, which he had, did not. Potiphar threw him into the dungeon he was forgotten about. Then Pharaoh had a dream, and then they pulled Joseph up, and he interprets the dream, which basically saved civilization at that time from a drought. And then he's lifted up, you know, to the palace, and you look at all of that. Joseph's brothers were the ones who sold him into slavery. They, they, was God the author of the evil that those people did? No. But God used all that evil to bring something good out of it all. And that was to position Joseph in a secular nation that would have plenty of food so that Israel could be saved. That's God's sovereignty. And they understood this early on, that God has a plan. So here's my point. How does this apply to me? Well, this is how this apply, applies to you and me. When we're threatened or when we're going through difficult times or difficult situations, we need in our prayer to remind ourselves and to appeal to the sovereignty of God that God you know. I've been praying this in my own personal life about a situation and a circumstance. Many of you know what it is. And we... It's, we're being done wrong, and it's not about us, but God has a sovereign plan, and we're, we're, we're linked to that. We're, we're um, holding on to that. We're praying that, God, you, you've got a plan, and when you make it right, and when situations are turned for your glory, we're not going to gloat, we're not going to do anything but celebrate and worship you because you've got a plan that you're going you're gonna to receive glory out of and through our lives as long as we stay committed to you and not get fleshly and, and not do it in a secular way, but do it in a godly way. Not do it in a carnal way, in a fleshly way, but do it God's way. And so we're appealing based on what we see here to the sovereignty of God, that God has a plan in our lives He's all-knowing. He's all-powerful. He's got a purpose, and it's going to work out for His glory. But we've got to trust Him. And they recognize that. They recognize that these threats were not fun. They were not exciting. They were difficult. They were challenging. And they might have been scared. They're, after all, they're, they were humans. They weren't superhumans. They were humans just like you and I. And they were filled with the Spirit, and God was using them in a mighty way. But they didn't know what the end result of these threats would be. And as we know, Peter eventually was crucified upside down on a cross. John was taken to the island of Patmos in the Mediterranean, and he was dropped in a boiling cauldron of oil. And it was on that island of Patmos. How he didn't die from that, I don't know. But on that island that he received the revelation from God and we have now the book of Revelation, the unveiling of Jesus Christ. So these two appeal to the sovereignty of God. The third thing I want you to see here when threatened, in prayer, they understood the attacks were ultimately against Jesus. Ultimately against Jesus. It says here in the Old Testament uh, reference in verse 26, against his anointed one. And then he talked about Herod and Pontius, Pontius Pilate met together. They conspired together with the Gentiles and the people of Israel in this city. Conspired against your holy servant, Jesus, whom you anointed. They did what your power and will had decided beforehand. In prayer, they understood that the attacks were ultimately against Jesus. <clears throat> now, I mentioned Tony Dungy. How many of you know who Tony Dungy is? Raise your hand. 
Okay, he's former head coach of the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, former head coach of the Indianapolis Colts, won the Super Bowl with the Colts, first African-American coach to ever win a Super Bowl. Tony Dungy, for most of his life, has been a dynamic Christian, raised by an amazing mother and father. He holds to a biblical worldview. He's pro-life. He's against the slaughter of children in the womb. And he went to the March for Life rally and even tweeted about that. And the left went nuts on him, trying to cancel him. And he made a tweet about something else, about a different lifestyle and all that. I don't want to get into all of that. And he took that down and apologized for that particular tweet. And that, and I'm, whatever, I'm not, I have, I have no, no opinion on, on that but right now for, for this message. But what I'm getting at is that I have never seen, I mean, this is a godly man. They are attacking him for his, um, uh, what is the dad's ministry? I just, just lost it. All pro dad that he has for fathers all over America. They have gatherings all over America throughout the year where they bring dads and their children together and they teach them biblical values, all pro-dads. Tremendous, tremendous ministry that he has. He's, you know, he believes that, that the problem with America in, in all uh, uh, cultures is the, the breakdown of the American family. I mean, I wouldn't even say that worldwide, the breakdown of the family. And people are going after him. But they're not going after him. They're going after the one that he serves, ultimately. They're going after Jesus. It's the truth of Jesus they hate. It's the truth of Jesus Christ that... That, that infuriates them. I mean, Paul was one of those people in the, in, the, in the Bible when he was dragging people off to be murdered because they were standing for Jesus. We're going to see some of that here in the book of Acts going forward. So it's ultimately about Jesus. And so I've been praying for Coach Dungy in the last couple of days. And I even sent him a message through a tweet he's probably gotten thousands so you know he doesn't know me from adam but but the fact is hopefully he read it and he got some encouragement from from it to let him know that you know hey you serve a sovereign god the sovereign lord he sees what's going on and this is your moment to stand and shine for him and he's got you he's got your back he's got your front he's got all of you But it's because unbelievers are intimidated by Jesus and His lifestyle, by Jesus and His words, by Jesus and His call to repentance and holiness. I'll tell you, I'll be honest with you. I was the same way before I became a Christian. I was. I verbally attacked two people who were answering a question that I asked. I asked the question of my best friend and a girl that I was trying to decide where this was going. And I asked the question to them, okay, if I'm going to even visit your church, what do you all believe? That's what I asked them. So I asked for it. And they told me the truth. They said, we believe that Jesus is God. I said, oh, I believe that too. We believe that you must give your heart and life to Jesus Christ. They shared the gospel with me. And I got angry. I got angry. You must serve Him. I said, well, what if I don't want to serve Him? He doesn't have the right to tell me how to live. And they're like, they're shaking their head like, yeah, He does. He made you. And I eventually told them, I, I said, get out of my house. Well, it wasn't my house, it was my mom and dad's house. Shows you the stupidity and arrogance of a 17-year-old. But you see, the trap was set. The Word of God, the Holy Spirit began to work in me with what they shared with me. They shared John 3.16. They began to share Scripture with me. And then they left. 
And two days later, I called them and I said, hey, can y'all come back to my house? I said, well, you sure you want, you want us back? And we're like, yeah, I need to talk to you about this stuff. I've been thinking about some things. And you see, what angered me was not them. What angered me was this exclusive call of Jesus Christ to be the Lord of my life. That's what angered me. And so in their prayer, when they were threatened, they understood ultimately that what they were going through was because of Jesus. Let me give you a fourth thing. In prayer, their request, here's their request. I mentioned it as we were reading it earlier. That they would speak the Word of God with boldness and they would see supernatural results. That was their request. Think about all the things they could have asked. Lord, can you give me peace of heart and mind in all of this? Lord, can you go do something with these rulers and leaders? Get them out of my way. Lord, can you give us protection and safety? Not that those things are wrong to ask for. I think we should. How many parents have prayed when their kid took the car for the first time? Protection and safety. Lord, in spite of their numb brain that can't compute things like they should, please protect them and keep them safe. Nothing wrong with that. But in this instance, because what they were going through was because of their, their, their work for Christ, because of what they had done to help this man find healing, and it was in the name of Jesus this was going on, their request was that they would speak with boldness. Think about that. Lord, would people be, would they would, would make them more tolerant of hearing our message? That's not what they prayed. Lord, would you fill us with boldness that we might speak? They said, that we might speak, not just that we would speak, but that we would speak the Word of God. There are a lot of bold people speaking a lot of nonsense in our world today. But what we need is the Word. Be careful what you listen to. Be careful of the athlete out there, you know, who's spouting nonsense off, or the entertainer, or the movie star. They're not heroes. Jesus should be your hero. I'm not saying that they're not doing some good sometimes. A lot of them do a lot of good. But be careful what you listen to. We need to hear the Word of God. Not an opinion. The Word. Help us to speak the Word with boldness. Now, they didn't say with meanness or hatred, but boldness with conviction. It's what we believe. And they also prayed that they would see the supernatural results of that. Stretch out your hand to heal and perform signs and wonders through the name of your holy servant Jesus. See, listen. Listen. As a pastor, I'm not praying that you like my sermon. I'm not praying that you like me. I mean, how would you not? No, I'm just kidding. No, I'm not, I'm, I don't pray that. I don't, I don't pray that. I don't care if you like the sermon or not. I know that sounds flippant, but I'm, hear me out. Hear, hear what I'm saying. Hear my heart on this. I care more about the, not the content, though the content is important. The content is, is the truth. You, you, you can't have, have life-changing um, work without the content being the Word of God, right? Okay? But I'm not interested in you thinking that, oh, what a wonderful message he preached. Man, those words were eloquent and all of that. Uh, you're not going to get that from here. But anyhow, um, my prayer is the intent. What is it going to do in your life? How are you going to be supernaturally changed? How can God take me, a little old Cajun boy from South Louisiana, and stick me right here in Newberry, north central Florida, and, and then all of us together be one giant family and, and be loving on our community and have a worldwide reach? And, and how can you do all of this? And how, how can you speak through me so that somebody's life can be changed that's what they were saying god give us boldness that we might speak the truth we might speak your word that they would hear the truth and as a result of that they would have supernatural change in their life from the inside out that's the results that we look for 
And that's, stretch out your hand to heal. Notice, you're doing this, God, not our speech. To perform signs and wonders through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. And the greatest wonder is to see someone changed from the inside. But we see healing, right? We see it in various ways. I mean, we have a man right over here who's been healed. He got a liver transplant, but there's... Do you know how many millions of things that could, could go wrong? That could have gone wrong? There's been healing there. We've seen supernatural things happen. I can tell you, I can tell you one that I'll never forget as long as I live. She's no longer a member of our church, but she was a member of our church, and she was engaged to a young man, and she had a serious female issue, like a tumor. And without getting graphic, there were, before she was scheduled to have surgery, I mean, on Wednesday night, man, we prayed. We laid hands all over. We prayed. We prayed. The next day, she was scheduled to have surgery, and there was an exam that would be done before the actual surgery, before they put her under. And the doctor just was stunned. There was nothing there. Then they did the ultrasound, MRI, whatever they did, and they, they confirmed that whatever tumor was there is gone gone that afternoon she was riding horses with her fiance healed never had a problem again so we see supernatural things so with that notice when you pray according to god's will look at number five look at what happens god answers and look at look at how he answers you think I'm kidding. Look, verse 31. After they prayed, the place where they were meeting was shaken. Wouldn't you say that's supernatural? That God did something supernatural? He caused the earth to move under them. Like a, a spiritual earthquake that happened. Literal earthquake. And then they were all filled with the Holy Spirit. And notice what they did. And they spoke the Word of God boldly. It wasn't some gibberish that somebody didn't understand. They spoke it boldly and clearly. God answered their prayer. Now maybe, could it be that sometimes our prayers aren't answered the way we think they ought to be answered because we're not praying for the right things in the right way, in the right heart? The Bible says we have not because we are asking amiss that we might spend it on ourselves and on our pleasures. I had a person who was supposed to be a mature Christian that was witnessing to my parents not long after I got saved, and we were all sitting there in my parents' living room, and um, they were telling my parents, saying, listen, when you become a Christian, if you ask anything in, in Jesus' name, he, he is obligated to give it to you. She said, if you ask for a million dollars, he's got to give it to you. I said, I want it, a million dollars. Right now I'm asking in Jesus' name. I still, I'm still waiting. I didn't get that million dollars. First John tells us that we need to ask according to His will. He hears us. You know, I think the more you grow as a Christian, the more the nature of your prayer life changes. It's less about do this for me, change this for me, fix this for me, make me more comfortable. It's less about that. But it's more about as you grow. And I'm talking about growing people, struggling people, Christian people who are living this life. They're not perfect, but yet they're growing. And they recognize and learn, whoa, 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 wait a minute. Now, if it means that i can, I got to go through this so that... God can get the glory and somebody can get saved and their life can be changed. Or if I go through this and it means that, you know, I, I'm going to be publicly flogged and people will not understand. Just think of Mary and Joseph and what they went through publicly and all of that. But out of, out of the situation, God will do something amazing. You begin to pray like that and you realize, then let it be according to your will, like Mary said for, for herself and her circumstance and situation, to be misunderstood and to be talked about as, as an adulteress with an illegitimate child. That's the way she was perceived in her culture and in her world. And so we've got to be willing to pray 
Lord, not why, but what? What can you do as a result of this? How can you get the glory? I, I'll tell you something that, that changed, uh, not changed my life, but that, that really spoke to my life years ago. I saw it in my own wife. Now, we got a call. We knew her dad was sick, didn't know what it was. We got a call that he was in Tulane Medical Center in downtown New Orleans, and we were going to find out doctors wanted us to come so they could talk to us. So we, we traveled, and we left real early in the morning, got there that morning, and got to see her dad and was with her brother and all of that. And we got told the news that he had pancreatic cancer. And, you know, we were told the realities of the situation with his pancreatic cancer. He was in his mid-70s. And, um, you know, after all of that, Penny, Penny's like, I need some air. So we walked out. It's like second, second or third floor there. There's like a a lanai or a veranda or something, whatever. I don't know, a big, big giant porch there at the hospital on the second floor, I believe it is. And I just remember it was a cold February morning in New Orleans, thankfully, because that way you didn't have to smell the stench of downtown New Orleans. But anyway, um, <clears throat> from all the vomit and everything. And so we're outside in this cool, fresh, crisp northern air was blowing and I wasn't saying anything. I was just had my arm around my wife, and she finally let it out, and she started to cry, and we, we held each other. And she said something I will remember the rest of my day. She goes, you know, Corey? She said, I, and I forget how old she was at the time, in her early 40s or whatever. She goes, I've had my dad for 40-something years, and I've had a good dad. And he loved the Lord, and he taught us how to live right. And if all I got is a few months left with him, I'm going to accept that and I'm going to trust the Lord. I'm not going to be embittered. Oh, it's going to hurt. But how can God get the glory through this in my life? How can I teach my kids how to face death? I mean, that was her prayer. And then she went on to live that prayer. Throughout the next few months and before the end of the year, her dad passed away that December. Here was a woman that was praying, Sovereign Lord, we're only here on this earth for a little bit. And while it's going to hurt, I trust you and I accept your plan for my life. Man, taught me so much. Not only about prayer, but about your relationship with the Lord. And I, I got to experience that and see it and live it and see a person that I have the utmost respect for, a person that I think is the greatest Christian in, in the world in my life. And I'm sure there are others just, just like her. I know there are others just like her um, who love the Lord like that. And going back to the situation, you ultimately pray that God supernaturally will use your circumstance for His glory. And that you would be given the opportunity to speak the Word of God in some form or fashion. Isn't that amazing? Isn't that amazing? Peter, not a very powerful man, didn't have a whole lot of... Uh, public connections to anybody wasn't a mover and shaker in cultural life there just a just an old just well, not an old but a young fisherman with busted up hands sun battered face and an unkept beard And yet, it all came together for him. And the same thing with John, the one who loved Jesus. It all came together for him right there. For them too. And when the moment of threatening came, they stood up tall 
And they got with their, with their fellow brothers and sisters in Christ and they called out to God, knowing the Old Testament Scripture and relying on the truth of God's Word. And then they prayed, God, don't deliver us from this, but actually, God, give us boldness that we could speak Your Word, knowing full well what that potentially meant, that they would be put in very difficult circumstances so that when they got the opportunity, it would have major effect and impact. Isn't that something? Now, one last thing here. We didn't have, I preached a whole message on this years and years ago, and I, I came from a totally different perspective. I think I titled it, What Happens When God Shakes Your World? It says God shook the building they were in. I mean, we're standing on a pretty solid foundation here. A slab, a cement. You know, one thing I never fully understood when I moved to Florida, I started seeing all this yellow sand everywhere that they were putting when they were building a house. And I went, they're doing it wrong. They're, doing, they're building the, their house on sand. Well, I've come to find out that that sand was not called sand around here. It's called field dirt. It's just different kind of dirt, but it looked like sand to me. And they were building these buildings on this. Look, what I'm, the point I'm making is that these are just facilities built with the hands of God. And God can do anything He wants. And God responded to their prayer. By shaking the building. I don't know about you, but if we were praying together and this building started to shake, I'm running out of it. I'm like an earthquake in Florida. It's the end times. Earthquakes in various places. He's coming back. I'll start looking in the eastern sky. But no, not them. So my question to you is, when was the last time God shook your world in, in such a way. It may not be in a, in a physical way like that. When did your world last get rocked by God? But I'm talking about in a spiritual way. Where you had a moment where you knew He was God. And that, you know, it, it wasn't just an experience, but it changed you. When was the last time? When was the last time you prayed and you sensed the power of God in your presence? Hmm? I know sometimes we feel like our prayers don't get beyond the ceiling. Partly is because we're, we're, we're not praying it right. We're, we're asking for ourselves. I'm guilty of it. And maybe we're expecting something from God that He hasn't promised us. So I think when you empty yourself before God and just say, God, I, I just want you, I'm your vessel, use me. Let me speak your word boldly wherever I am and use what I'm doing to supernaturally change people's lives. I'll tell you what, it, it will shake your world. It will. I am with this. I've had people say this, not, not our group that went here, but I've had people say before, you know, Pastor, why, why, we go on these mission trips, foreign land, boy, God moves and God does all this stuff. Why isn't He doing that at home? Now, I stop and I say, well, He is, but just stop. Think about going on a foreign mission trip. You, you, you suspend your life for a moment. And you get in with a bunch of people and you go and you focus only on that. You can't do anything else. You're there to go do what you, what you need to do. So you're focusing in on ministry. And now you can see it. See, my answer is this. God's working. You're just so busy. You're so, we're so into ourselves that we can't see it. God's working in people's lives every, everywhere you turn. Everywhere you turn. He's doing something. I was moved in Hobby Lobby the other night. I don't like going to those places. But my wife does, so I go. 
<clears throat> and we were looking for something. And this man comes on this little scooter, this older gentleman. He's on this scooter. And we're like, oh, excuse me, get out of the way. He wants to start having a conversation with us. I'm thinking, I, I just want to get out of here. But this guy, no. And it hit me. He's acting like a man that has nobody to talk to. So we engaged him in conversation, Penny and I. He disappeared. He went somewhere else. Well, he comes right back. He goes, hey, man, I like your shirt. Can, 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 you, can I have your shirt? He, I, I, and and my, my first thought was no, because it's got my dear stuff on the back, and I like this shirt. And he's like, I'm just kidding, but he goes, he goes I like the shirt because it's got deer on the back. I said, that's why I like it too. You've heard people say, man, he'd give you a shirt off your back. I wasn't too sure about that. I was like, I don't think people in the store would appreciate seeing what's under the shirt. <laughs> but I just remember, so we had another conversation. And I told Penny, I said, I bet you that man, his wife passed away. Maybe not, but it sounds to me like, how he got here, I don't know, but he's in the store in a scooter. And we just had a moment. I felt God right there with us, just having that conversation. <sighs> Why you got to ask me a spiritual question like that? <laughs> it's a good question, though, Walker. Uh, I'm thinking, uh, the reason I'm hesitating is because I had another conversation with somebody and I did invite somebody else to church. I don't think I invited him. I don't think it. He took off on the scooter. That's my excuse. Anyway. All right. Let's stand together, everybody. <clears throat> um, so, church, how are you responding? Has God spoken to you? Do you realize He's a big God? And do you realize that you have an opportunity to speak the Word of God and to make an impact and a change, or plant a seed? I don't know how God used this message in your life. Only God does. So I'm going to encourage you to respond to Him. For some of you, it might mean, hey, you're coming to give your life to Christ today. For others, it might mean, as a Christian, it's time to go in a different direction. It's not about you, it's about Him. Let God work in you, lead you. This altar is open for you to pray. These pews here. Let's pray together, church. Let's let God work in us during this time of invitation. So let's pray together. Father, we thank you. We ask you for your blessings upon this ministry. Thank you for the truth of your word. Thank you for the power that we have in Christ. May we speak your word with boldness. May you stretch out your hand and touch and change people's lives so that you would get the glory. And I pray it in Jesus' name. As our team leads us, you follow.